Thank you for downloading this podcast from Abrupt Audio. You can find more episodes of this and many other podcasts at abruptaudio.com. Subscribe today to get the next episode automatically. Coming up on this week's Pixel podcast, we'll be going through everything Apple announced at its March event. Xbox may be announcing free trade-ins on used downloads. Android Pay is soon to be launching in the UK. And got an old graphics card? Well, that could be no problem for VR soon. You're listening to the Pixel Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Pixel Podcast. Just to give a quick little note before we go into this week's episode, Edson has officially left the podcast team. It is sad to see him go, but he has done so to give himself more time to concentrate on the new exciting projects that he's hoping to bring on his YouTube channel and elsewhere, and we wish him luck with that. But don't worry, we'll still bring you a new episode every week and uh, we're working on getting some exciting guests to feature in the upcoming episodes. So stay tuned for that. But I'm going to welcome my co-host, as always, Martin. Say hello. Hello, Ben. Just some other things to get out of the way before we dive straight into the podcast. Don't forget that you can find us on the Stitch app for Android devices. You can find us on the iTunes podcast app for Apple devices. And you can find further information and listen to the podcast on the Abrupt Audio website at abruptaudio.com forward slash pixel. That's P-I-X-3-L. And a new one for you to check us out on. We're now officially on Twitter. Come and say hello at Pixel Podcast. And with that, let's dive into this week's Catch Up Topics. If ever there's a Minecraft movie, it'll likely be a blockbuster. Pixel Podcast. Start us off is Pokemon Go. With new details and official screens have emerged for the upcoming Pokemon Go, giving it more insight in how the augmented reality smartphone game will actually work. Ben, what do you think? I've been a long-term Pokemon fan, but slowly have drifted away from the franchise with all the different things they're doing. And I have, even on this podcast, said that I'm skeptical about what Nintendo are doing on the smartphone market. But we do know that the game is going to operate similarly to developer Niantic Labs Ingress, taking players out into the real world and using geomarkers scanned with their phone's camera to find Pokemon in the wild. The Pokemon Company International now says that a Pokemon's element attributes will affect where you'll find them. For example, is that a water-type Pokemon may only appear near bodies of water. There are some potential obstacles with that approach, though. The main games have Physic, Fairy, and Dragon types, for instance, all things which are fairly famously tricky to match to reality. You won't necessarily have to be actively looking for Pokemon, though. Encounter one, meaning in boring reality, walk past a landmark that flags as one uh, to the app, and your phone vibrates, prompting you to find the creature and capture it with virtual Pokeballs thrown with a swipe of a touchscreen. Now, what we don't actually know is, is that Capturing Pokemon is all well and good, but when you capture Pokemon, you want to actually battle them. And there's no talk of or, you know, suggestion either way whether we're going to actually be able to battle these Pokemon with people in the street. If I meet with Martin, who has the app, and, you know, we want to have a battle, could we do that? Because that would be pretty amazing. Like, if I could then have my phone and I could see through my phone screen, like, Martin's Pokemon, and I could battle him, and, you know, I could see mine as well, that would be really, really cool. And that would be far more interesting to me than walking around landmarks and capturing Pokemon. That would be the boring bit to me, but it would be worth it if I could then battle the Pokemon that I've got. But if you're just collecting Pokemon, like, for the sake of it... I'm not one of those people that would get much enjoyment out of that, and I would probably stop very, very quickly. I don't know about you, Martin. I feel the same way with you, Ben. I feel like you need that interactivity with other people, especially the battles. It's a key part of Pokemon franchise, especially if you take into account their previous games. You could capture and battle 
with gym leaders as well as your friends online. I think this is a great app, especially one that I will definitely download. I can see it now. Um, like yourself, I'm a Pokemon fan. However, questions do come to my mind as well as more areas that are just more abandoned and stuff like that, more uh, forest areas, how that affects the game. Does it, is it across the globe? This, or is it just gonna be in certain areas? So the big thing that happened this week was all to do with Apple and their March event, which to a lot of people wasn't quite as exciting as was hyped to possibly be. Now, I know Martin hasn't watched the event as he's maybe not sort of Apple uh, inclined maybe as I am, but I'm gonna run through all the things that happened in the event very quickly and give some brief opinions along the way. To start off with, Tim Cook led us on to talk about research and development, talking about the lots of different things that are happening in terms of health apps and loads of other supported applications and systems that's making the ecosystem a lot better and a lot more interesting for scientists and people who want to conduct research studies. There is some really awesome stuff in that and I do praise the things they're doing. Of course, Tim Cook did also go over the whole FBI issue, saying that he's really pleased with the support that he's had from various companies and the general public towards their very strong no to the FBI. We also got to saw a cool video about something called Liam. It's a robot which is designed to deconstruct old iPhones and reuse the material. Basically get them ready to be recycled and put into other possible iPhones. Honestly, the video is really awesome. I would just watch it for that. Liam's a really cool device and uh, there is some rumors that a bit in the video was signaling what the iPhone 7 might look like, but we're not too sure on that. Nothing's been thinking out of the way. I think it might just be fanboys going a little bit too crazy and looking a bit too in depth. Moving on, we saw small updates to Apple Watch and Apple TV. Honestly, Apple Watch saw about two minutes of screen time, really not much at all. We're just talking about new bands. They do look pretty cool, pretty expensive as expected, but there's some new nylon bands and there are some new color additions to some of the existing bands. They also gave some new information about Apple TV saying there's gonna be a new update coming very soon featuring things like folders, better Siri integration and the like, and talking about how Apple TV has currently sold more units of the new version than they've ever sold before. Pretty neat. The iPhone SE was the big announcement of the show, talking about the things that we kind of already talked about and rumored here on the podcast and across the whole web. It looks the same as the iPhone 5 and 5S, but has a brand new internals matching that of the 6S, which is probably pretty cool for the people who are looking for that smaller phone and have probably hanged on to the 5, 5S before, haven't upgraded for the same reason that they don't want a bigger phone. So I think for those people, they might really appreciate it, but there isn't anything exciting for people who already have the latest smartphone to look towards. It doesn't have 3D touch, which is a little bit confusing, but I'm guessing that's towards the smaller price point that they're trying to aim this iPhone towards. But the iPhone SE does have a much better battery life than that of the 6, which is very, very interesting. They announced the launch of iOS 9.3, which brings a lot of small updates and useful things, including updates to CarPlay, Apple News, and to add a new feature called Night Shift, which allows a lighting-friendly preparing you to go to sleep mode, which slowly changes the tint of the screen towards the way the sun's setting so that you're not basically being blinded and kept awake by blue light when you're trying to check your phone or uh, do some last things on your device before you're going to sleep, which should improve sleep quality and the like. As predicted, they also announced a smaller iPad Pro that with a 9.7 inch retina display, which kind of makes the iPad Air 2 a little bit pointless buying. The specs inside there actually beat out in some ways the actual full size iPad Pro as well and includes some really beefy hardware and it's at a really good price as well. So people who are looking for iPads, especially in the professional world, will definitely be tempted by the new 9.7 inch display. I don't know how I feel about it. I think that it's kind of awkwardly in the market because it's 
downgraded the iPad Air 2, but while at the same time, Apple are not saying that this thing is gonna replace the iPad Air 2. So it'll be interesting to see what happens to the iPad Air range to sort of catch up with the rest of the product lineup. But it is still a cool device for someone who actually wasn't interested in the full size iPad Pro. The 9.7 inch one is definitely far more appealing to me. And that's about it. You can read further on the specs and all the stuff they announced on the Abrupt Audio website. We'll have that in the show notes. But overall, the event was a little bit underwhelming. Literally everything was predicted online, which uh, I think we hate it when we're right, but we were literally were right. And not even uh, the guys on stage at the conference ignored the fact that we'd already even guessed the name of the new iPhone. So we're looking forward to any of the future events coming up by Apple. And hopefully we can see further detail on the new iPhone, something which a few of us were disappointed that we didn't see information on. But but there we go, that's to you updated on the latest Apple event of March 2016. Okay, our next topic is Microsoft Mall's digital trading discounts for used downloads. Microsoft may be considering introducing trade-ins on digital games. A survey which recently commenced, which surfaced on NeoGAF via Reddit, asks if the console digital games store for console you owned offered customers the opinion to sell back their digital games to the store for 10% of the purchase price and store credit, would you be interested in such an offer? Let's put this in perspective right now, Ben. Let's say the new Tomb Raider game that came out, which is about $49.99, you'd be getting £5 back, which really isn't a lot. I know tradings physically aren't great, especially in some stores, but 10% is just a terrible price, especially for new games. and. I can see this definitely catching on, but I feel like you should reward players on your uh, systems if it's via Xbox One, which they're pushing it to, and hopefully they'll branch out to PC. You've got to reward them with more person than 10%. What's your thought? Well, this is a really awkward and difficult one to sort of discuss and analyze because you're talking about something which has no physical properties. It's a load of files on a computer. It doesn't have any value as long as the files don't exist on that particular device. So, I mean, this is obviously a way of Microsoft trying to encourage people to download new games on the store because you're getting this money in digital money form in online credits. So you have to then buy that game through there, which uh, obviously um, some stores try and do that as well, give you more money by in-store credit. But the difficulty is because Xbox actually isn't getting anything back there. It's not like it's a physical copy that you know they're getting back that they can then sell to someone else used. Once, once you've returned that back to them, that is it really. And it's a really weird thing. So really from Mike's point of view, they're getting nothing but giving you some in-store credit, which obviously then will encourage you to buy another game. So basically, all it really adds up to in the sort of business model is that they're saying, if we give you the store credit, you're probably going to buy a game, which means you're going to spend more money in our store, and they're trying to encourage people to spend more money there. It's a really weird one. I don't know. I just find it really weird to discuss is because you are getting a little bit of money for that game, and I would honestly probably be the person that wouldn't do it because, I mean, if there's even a small chance that I might play that game again, I'm not going to get 10% of that money, you know, just for sending that game back, and then I would have to pay some more money if I ever wanted to play that game again. So for me, it's not a business model that I would ever take on, but if you're someone who's constantly downloading stuff, especially the type of person who plays a game once and you completes it and then never would ever go back to it again, maybe the sort of person who would trade physical games into stores all the time. I'm the sort of person that hangs on to games for a long time and go, actually, I haven't played that in like a year. I should probably trade that in. And by that point, it's probably worth nothing anyway. Uh, so me personally, not too sure how I feel for it, but if you're someone who has to be keep deleting stuff off the hard drive anyway to free up space and you never download them again, you'll get some money for it at least, but I don't know, I don't know. It sounds like a great deal on the surface of it, but it's a little bit murky in there and I don't know how I feel about it. 
Our next topic is all to do with Android Pay. Now, anyone who does watch any of the content on my tech channel, hint, hint, you should definitely go and check that out. I talked about in my Nexus 6P review that I was annoyed that Android Pay wasn't here in the UK, considering how long Apple Pay has been here now. It's been here for quite a long time. Not been quite a year yet, but it's been here for long enough that I think Android should have at least have been talking about Android Pay in the UK. Well, don't worry. The rant isn't going on because they finally are talking about it. Uh, Google is set to extend Android Pay to the UK in the next few months, the company said. No release date yet, but we'll accept that. The system which will let Android users pay for their items with their phones will be supported by a number of UK banks when it launches, with a notable exception of Barclays, which also failed to support Apple Pay at launch, and I don't think supports Apple Pay still. But that's Barclays for you. Anyway, to start with, the contest payment system will support MasterCard and Visa cards, uh, credit and debit. The card types will work with the following banks and building societies to begin with. So, Bank of Scotland, First Direct, Halifax, HSBC, Lloyds Bank, MS, MBNA, and Nationwide. Support for other banks and building societies will be added at a later date, Google has said. Android Pay works in the same way as contactless bank cards and the Apple Pay on iPhone devices, uh, which was launched back in June 2015. The method works for placing the phone near a wireless payment point and unlocking the phone. Uh, I've had great success with this. I've used it on my Apple Watch and I use it pretty much all the time. There's a majority of payments I use with it now and it's really, really great. Because I, to be honest, I, with my Apple Watch, for instance, I could even forget my phone, forget my wallet and still be able to make payments, which is also really quite useful. Uh, but I do want to see more places take it on. For instance, in America, I know there's some hotels that you can book your hotel with them and then you don't even have to go to reception and like check in. Your your room code, like your room number will be sent to you and then literally you can use Apple Pay or the, or the contactless chip in your uh, watch to be able to unlock the room door and, and your watch will work as an unlocker for that room door, uh, which I think is really, really cool because those blooming cards they give you either don't work half the time or you just end up losing them. And also you can use contactless in London, for instance, on things like uh, the tube. So you can basically just scan your Apple Watch or iPhone next, next to the reader uh, when you're going through all the checkpoints on the tube and you can basically just pay for it without having to worry about it, uh, which might not be the cheapest way of going the tube, but it's still a nice cool method. So really up for Android Pay joining this. So hopefully if I do review any Android phones in the future, I can still use um, that kind of system because I really love it. I have someone who's grown to love it really, really quickly. Um, Martin, anything to add? I know someone who doesn't use any of these systems. Um, would you ever see yourself using one in the future? Because obviously you're more of an Android user than you are an iOS user. Okay, to cap on what you've just said there, quite a lot to take in there, I'm sorry. But I wouldn't use this system. And I know how much, uh, in, in terms, you sort of swear by it. I've seen you used to watch a lot, which actually gets a lot of views still. It's quite, they always go, oh, what are you doing now? I, I even today had someone yeah. mention it to me. I had a discussion with someone. Honestly, if you just want to like, have something that's always going to get you a little bit of conversation, something to talk about with just the general people that um, are taking the payment from you, Apple Watch, about nine times out of ten, they will say something. So, uh, so yeah. But I wouldn't use this. And, and this is because... Um, I like having a card, a physical card. I don't, because I know myself too well, I'll just be like, oh, I'll just pay for this. I'll just pay for that. It's fine. And I am the worst for that, and I, I will admit it here. So I feel like having that phone, even quicker access, because I always feel guilty when I get my card, I think, oh, I'm paying for this. But with a, with a phone, it's like, boop, don't have to worry about it. So I feel like I wouldn't use this personally, because I feel like it would uh, affect me in other ways. But I can see why. Um, people use these sort of devices. And I would all say, thank God, Android have sort of caught up with um, 
Apple Pay. Yeah, I hope that um, they have a, a, a successful launch like Apple Pay did. Apple Pay had a really secure, literally pretty much no problems were reported of of Apple Pay during its launch. And that's a really good thing. And I, if uh, Android Pay have that same good launch, I, I really hope they do. That'll be good as well, because obviously we're still kind of in the infancy of this whole um, sort of pay system. And we don't really want any hiccups in it to sort of set us back in terms of our trust and, and level with that. So hopefully Android have everything under control. They've had some really good um they've had some really good feedback and success in america so i suggest that everything should be fine over here and do you know what actually i like about apple pay is sometimes people sort of almost look at apple pay because it's on a device of being maybe a less secure way than um your wallet's credit card but i would argue that in some ways and this is sort of where i'm going to sort of draw it to close i would say that apple pay and android pay and things like that almost in a lot of ways make it more secure because our phones often are the most secure devices or secure things we have on us. They are often secured by fingerprint and if not by fingerprint, by a long string of numbers or letters and things like that. So they're almost very secure devices to get in. And also with a digital card and like a physical card, it is extremely easy. If something, worst case scenario, someone did have access to that you could, at a touch of a button, cancel that card. There's no calling up the banks, waiting on there for six hours while you talk to someone in India who doesn't understand you, then put you somewhere in somewhere else who doesn't understand you. You finally get it sorted and get cancelled, then you're without a card completely. Worst case scenario, for instance, if my Apple Watch did get taken and someone managed to get the passcode and managed to start using it, on my phone, I could cancel it immediately, and then I've still got my physical card that I can use. It's not a problem. And then when I get that all sorted, I can just register it and off I go again. It's an individual card with its individual properties and its individual card number. So you never even have to worry about that sort of thing. So I think security can be taken to a new way with this. And that's why I really like it is that it's that extra level that you have more control. And honestly, I trust that more than I trust my physical card. Because if someone takes my physical card, they can use it pretty much for stuff, um, you know, for, for doing various things, especially online payment stuff without me even uh, knowing immediately. So... There we go. Going to round it up there. Hopefully Android Pay goes really well. I think the success of that in the UK will help boost the confidence that we've got for electronic payment systems in the UK. For our next topic, it's about the division and it has a game-breaking bug. But don't worry, Ubisoft is on the case. The division had a major new patch rollout yesterday, which made some much-needed changes to the game's previously dire Dark Zone PvP offerings. Those changes have been welcome but the patches have reportedly introduced a nasty bug. Some players are reporting that high-end backpacks are disappearing from their inventory. The backpacks not only disappear, resulting in otherwise impossible empty backpack slots in the user's inventory, but the bug also leads to bring locked out of the game entirely. It's definitely a major bug, and while it appears to be only affecting a limited number of players at the moment, Ubisoft is on the case. A statement published on the game's official support forum, the company has said it is investigating. A quote from them reads, we are aware that some of you are experiencing an issue where you are locked out of your account. And then it goes on to say, this is usually caused by having crafted a high-end backpack. We are looking to resolve this. It is one of our main priorities at the moment. So it's great that Ubisoft are taking care and looking after their players who have bought this game. I've been so psyched for the division. And I don't think this will uh, derail the momentum that they finally got going after their, should we say, poor launch. So Ben, how do you feel? I mean, I don't know if I'd agree with you with the words of a poor launch. I think that it, they've just been hyping the game up for so long that I think that 
people weren't at the level that they really needed to be for the launch, or maybe the level Ubisoft was hoping. And this is what Ubisoft seems to have a habit of doing. They'll announce something a long, long, long time ago, show stuff of it, get people hyped up, and then the game won't come out for a long period of time. And we've stopped over a period of time looking at when the game's going to come out. So it's sort of like, oh, 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 that game's out already. Oh, crap, I'd forgotten all about that game even existed. So which is why... Maybe it doesn't have the impact that it should have. But I think for a game that's online focused and a game that um, had a lot riding on it, I think it's done very, very well. It's a game that could have gone very, very wrong very quickly. And I think it hasn't so far. I've spoke to a few people who have played it. They're really loving it, really enjoying it. Don't seem to be any real negative reviews. Uh, there have been some official negative reviews, but I think these are the sort of game that you can't just jump in and review and come out. It's a game you play for a long period of time. It has a lot of growth and development, you know, like these sort of games do. And I think, uh, you know, for the people that I've talked to personally that have spent a lot of time in it, they've enjoyed it. So it's one that I'm looking forward to sitting down soon and be able to play. Uh, I'm just going to wait, I think, for this bug to be fixed, which I'm sure it will be. Uh, I'm sure it won't take long for Ubisoft to do it. And I'm glad that Ubisoft are being at least publicly open about it, getting on there. You know, this is not the, the first game that they've had bug issues with, um, you know, and you only need to look back to Assassin's Creed to see that a little while ago and their PR response to it was pretty bad so it's glad that they've learned from that they're moving forward and they're being really open they're saying what they need to do and they said that they're going to do it and that's all really as gamers we need to hear so I'm praising them kind of in a way from that it's something they should do anyway so I don't think I need to give them much praise but I'm still looking forward to the game and um there's always talks about at the minute about Division's Endgame, staying away from that. I don't want to see anything to do with that, but uh, we'll look forward to see how the game develops over the next few months. And I look forward to playing it myself personally, as I'm sure Martin does as well. Our final topic of this week's catch-up is all to do with graphics cards and VR. Now, as someone who's been following VR and knows quite a bit about it, it has not been something that I've been too excited for when it comes to PC, as the requirements to do a really good VR experience is generally very, very high. You've spent a hell of a lot of money, not something that I would be able to do anytime soon, which is why I was excited to hear about PlayStation's VR offering in a few podcasts ago. But apparently, due to a recent post, if you have an old graphics card, that shouldn't be a problem for VR very, very soon. So Valve is working to try and lower the threshold considerably. Recommended spec for a VR-ready machine at the moment is a GTX 970 or an R9 290 on the AMD side. A smooth frame rate, as we know, is important when it comes to not making the gamer feel ill. But Valve's tech will allow cards as old as the GTX 680, what we know is an old card, to be good for gaming for the Steam VR platform, that being HTC Vive and Oculus Rift. Upload reports that Alex Vlachos, a graphics programmer at Valve, gave a talk at GDC 2016 in which he revealed that a rendering plugin for the Unity game engine is in the pipeline, and this plugin helps be more efficient to render scenes, therefore keeping frame rates up with lower power GPUs while not sacrificing anything notable in terms of image quality. So, if they can get this on the money, Martin, do you think this is going to be a really big deal for VR in the PC market? And to make it more successful, as in the minute, it's kind of the elite few that would get to be able to get the most out of, or even play it at all. Do you think it's going to be a big deal to the success of VR? Maybe not even just on PC, but generally as a whole? What's really going to separate the VR for its success is how many people can actually engage with it and use it. I feel like we can, as gamers, sort of look past quality if we are skimming out on sort of lesser gaming graphic cards. I feel like we need to take it with a pinch of salt. Obviously it's new sort of technology coming back. Um, obviously I'm referring to the Virtual Boy, which was a disaster. I feel like this could definitely be what people consider the next level of gaming. I feel like the more people it hits 
and the more audience that can actually use it, I feel like it'll get, gain great momentum and then push on from there. So I feel like we can take a bit of a bump on uh, smaller graphic cards, like who aren't, which aren't as powerful as the sort of the elite ones where, um, where people can afford the high-end specs. So I feel like it wouldn't hinder the experience too much where people go, no, this is a disaster, we don't want it. I feel like it, you have um, those hardcore, die-hard players who can look past and say, well, this is what I can, this is my budget, and I feel like I can get the best experience out of this, and they can. And with that, we end this week's catch-up topics. A clean house is a sign of a broken computer. Pixel Podcast. So we're bringing back verses this week. Don't worry, we hadn't forgot about it. It's going to be now the tension between me and Martin. Me and Martin are sort of being neck and neck almost the whole way. So it's going to be really interesting to see how we go from here. Now, I won the last versus challenge, so I'll be taking it forward. But before we get into that, let's talk about this week's topic. Now, do you want PlayStation games on your phone? Well, whether you want it or not, it's happening. Sony is standing up to its ever-growing competition among phones and tablet games, and it's going as far as forming a new company that will bring PlayStation titles and characters to mobile devices. Forwardworks, revealed as the name of the new branch in a press release, will cater to users with opportunity to casually enjoy fully-fledged game titles in the new field of the smart device market. Little is known about the new software company at this time other than its intentions, although the press release also states that for the time being, at least, the games will only be delivered to the Japanese and Asian markets. This makes sense considering there is an ever-growing competition in the mobile market with Nintendo making a play for younger users on mobile with its new Mitomo app, an avatar-based community experience that bridges the gap between gaming and services like WhatsApp. Forwardworks will come into fruition on April 1st, the same time as Sony is set to change into Sony Interactive Entertainment, a move Sony helps will vigorously maximize the corporate values and create new business opportunities. Let's just hope it's not an April Fool's joke, eh? So our first question this week regarding the topic is all to do with not only just Sony moving into the mobile platform, but also, as we know, as we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, Nintendo as well. Do we think that Sony and Nintendo moving their franchises, which have always been console dominant, into the mobile market a good idea? Or do we think it's just a simple money-making scheme that could degrade the franchising and end up doing more damage to those well-respected franchises than good? So, as I won last time, I get to choose which I would prefer, okay? So I'm going to say that I am going to say that it's a bad idea. I'm going to say that Sony's move into the franchise is not a good idea, okay? So That's no. the one I wanted. That's the one I wanted. Of course it is, Martin. So I'm going to go I'm going to go with Tails on this one, okay? I'm going to go with Tails and I'm going to say that it's not a good idea. So Martin gets heads and is a good idea. This time, we're going to use Siri to say who is going to win this one. So, Siri, are you ready? No comment. Good. Right, so here we go. Heads or tails? Tails. It's a tails. Cool, so that. I'm sorry. But it's like... a tails. <sighs> okay, that's fair enough. That's fair okay, enough. so that means that... I get to say that it is a bad idea, and Martin has to say that it is a good idea. So, a lot of the rules stay the same. It's still 30 seconds each. So, as you're the challenger, you have to go first, and you've got your own timer, but I'm going to time yeah, you. Yeah, that's cool. You I thought you were going to go first. That's why. Because um, you know, you're the challenger. Yeah, I know. So, <sighs> we'll, for old time's sake, we'll go in that sort of rules, and then we'll rotate it every week, okay? So, you're going first. So, mm -hmm. uh, are you ready, Martin? Not yet, no. 
Okay. But uh, oh, gotta compose myself. So I'm saying it's a good idea. Yes. Okay. Uh, I I think it's difficult. I don't think. I don't think so. I'm gonna I'm gonna botch it up, but it'll be fine. So Martin, are you ready? Of course, Ben. Why not? Let's go for it. Okay, 30 seconds on your clock starts in three, two, one, go. It's a great idea because as consumers, we want to be more and more on the go with our games. An article we covered a while ago, we said that uh, mobiles want to have games on there and can revolutionize it. And I feel like it can. Look at the PSP, how that was successful with its mobile mobility. So having it on your screens, it would just make sense for all of us. I feel like I have so long to go. You do have a bit to go. Five seconds. Uh, Anything you want to say? No. Okay, here that, we go. And thumbs up. Okay. How long was my argument? Like 15 seconds? 20 seconds. Uh, see, I don't know how much. Okay, so you've got your timer now, so you can time me to make sure it's fair. Okay, 20 seconds on the clock for you. 10 seconds, sorry, what? <laughs> okay, Ben, are you ready? I am ready. Okay, three, two, one. Okay, so why do we want to mix the, the franchises that have always been well and loved on Nintendo and Sony. These franchises have been for around for a long period of time and have had big games with lots of budget spent on them and people love those franchises. Let's look at Uncharted, for instance. Those games look amazing. Why do I want an Uncharted, like Drake plays golf or something on my smartphone? They're just gonna ruin the franchises, slowly weave it out. People are gonna go, I don't respect that franchise anymore. They've got some silly games to them. People are gonna lose respect and I think it's a really, really bad idea. Why would you Stop wanna- Stop right there. Okay, I got my main point over. I'm happy with that. Yeah. I'm happy with that. So this is the point where we'd usually ask another member of the team to decide, but obviously it wouldn't be fair because I mean, I mean, obviously I'd vote for myself and you would. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> we're going to open this up to the audience now. This week, you can follow us on Twitter at Pixel Podcast. That's P I X three L, and we're going to tweet out when this podcast is live. So the tweet should be live right now on who you think should win versus. You respond to that tweet saying Martin or Ben, and whoever wins the polls will then be crowned victory of this week. So we actually don't get to find out for a week who wins. So that's going to be interesting. I'll see, I know you'll just come up to me with that. Oh, Martin, I'm, I'm looking at the poll so far. It's not looking good for you. I can see it now. Caps Lock, preventing logging since 1980. Pixel Podcast. So with that, I'm going to bring the podcast to a close. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have enjoyed episode eight. We've loved bringing it to you. Don't forget, you can check us out on the Abrupt Audio website and read all the information regarding the articles in the show notes. That's abruptaudio.com forward slash pixel, P-I-X-3-L. We are also for you Android users on the Stitcher app. You can find us on there. Just download the app. And we are on the podcast app for iOS and, of course, iTunes as well. But thank you guys for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you to Martin for joining me. Thank you very much. And we will see you guys on the next episode. As always, bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Pixel Podcast. Thank you and good night. Or as they say in gamer speak, G-G-N-O-R-E. Oh, I tell you, I feel so rough. All I'm going to say is at, at Pixel Podcast, follow us and vote for me. Subtle. So yeah, subtle. Really subtle. So, so subtle. Well, everyone knows that I'm the favourite, Martin. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've read the comments. Yeah, I'm the favourite. You know, you're just there. Shut up. It's not funny. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Hold on a minute. Yeah. Oh, I feel so rough. Like, Why? I don't know, my head just... Because you feel like you're going to lose. <laughs> yeah. You just know. <laughs>
Yeah, oh, I can just see it now. I know, it's the thing is, I, I joke, but I know I'm, I'm just going to end up losing, and then you're going to be like, haha. And I'll be like, victory. Well, it'll be really awkward if no one votes. I'll just vote for you. I'll put it out there. Because <laughs> you, you said the one thing I wanted to say about, like, um, who wants to, like, um, you said uh, about why do we want it, like, these well established consoles just transferring. And I, I totally agree with you. I, I do. This is going in the podcast, I can see at the end. <laughs> you might agree, so it's fine. Yep. Oh, right, I'll hit stop. Yes, oh shit, yeah. Are you still going? Oh, it didn't record. <laughs>